Well, I am, uh, I'm excited about this. This has been a little over a year now. Um, when I first heard Mo speak, it was at a thing called Real Time, which they bring all the staff across the, the globe that works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They bring us together once every three years. And basically, for a couple of days, they just pour into us. And Mo was one of our speakers. And um, my wife, Jenny, and I were probably second row. I don't think we're front row. We might have been second. We were right up front. You know, there's like 13, 1,400, I don't know, maybe 1,500 people there. We were blessed to be right up there where, you know, if, uh, if Mo were to spit, she would have hit us, you know. Um, but boy, she was spitting fire that night. And what she shared that night to all of our staff, I sat there in awe. I shared with her, not sort of to get this big head or anything, but I said, um, and, and I've been in ministry 30 years. I've heard a lot of speakers. I've heard a lot of pastors. I've been to a lot of conferences. She's in my top 10 speakers. And I'll, I'll say why. And that's because she's very genuine. She's very real. And her message was very powerful. Now, I know some people are like, well, what about so-and-so and so-and-so? Like, yeah, they're great. They're great. But the way Mo shared her heart and her message, um, I, will, I will never forget. And so... The cool thing was, after it was all done, I looked at Josh. Josh was like, we got to see if we can get her to Northwest Ohio. Well, we went out, and her table, where she was sitting there talking to people, signing books, was out the door. I mean, literally, it was out the door. And this was a huge conference center. So it was really neat then. You know, we're like, oh, this ain't going to work out. Well, it was really neat how God works. Josh made a phone call. A couple days later, next thing you know, we had her booked to come this direction. So we've been waiting for probably 10 months knowing that this was going to happen. And um, so um, I was going to say nine months, but that's too close to what's going on with you right now. So it's been about 10 months. And uh, so we're excited. And, and my mom, who is 87, and some of the people in the church here have heard the story. My mom, who's 87, she clicks onto my emails that I send out. And she clicked on the video of Mo. And some of you saw it in church a couple weeks ago. And she goes, I was watching the video. I was like, oh, no. Now, remember, I grew up in a very strict Baptist church, okay? We didn't, we didn't even pronounce that first word in this book, okay? Um, and, and so I'm th- sitting there thinking, my mom's 87. What's she going to say? And she goes, do you know when you click on there, it takes you to YouTube? And, you know, there's videos on the side. And I'm going, oh, no. Yes, Mom, I know that. It doesn't matter how old you are, but when Mom talks, you know, any of you ever feel like this big when Mom yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, no. She goes, well, there's a, moment, there's a time she spoke at Liberty University. I clicked on that, and that was good. I'm thinking, yes, okay, good. We're all, we're all fine here. So um, so my mom, uh, I said, mom, can I share with the, you know, people that you know, this is somebody that they need to listen to? She goes, absolutely. And uh, she said basically the things that we are challenged with today in this world with purity and sex and, and relationships is the same thing that's happened for years. It just seems to be out there a little bit more now. So um, so I did, uh, we picked up both of her books, um, Wreck My Life, uh, which is more so about your, your, your whole story of brokenness. And then her latest one, which she's going to hit on tonight, is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot About. Now, again, 30 years of ministry, many of those years youth ministry, talking to kids about love, dating, and sex. And it's like, we need to talk about this because the world's already talked about it. And the church doesn't because we, we, we treat it like a taboo that's like, I don't know if we can touch that. We better touch it because God created it. And the world distorts it. And as I was reading through her book, I'm like, wow, wow, 
um, very powerful. It got me even uh, more fired up for her being here. And um, and I heard somebody, it was Josh McDowell, share his testimony recently, and he just, a lot of he went through. And basically he was like, could a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, is they okay to come? And we actually had some phone calls. Can we bring our kids? We're like, yes. Because if any of your kids have this, they've already been exposed. They already know everything. They probably know more than you do. I hate to say that, but they do. And so it's important that we do this in a safe environment in the church. where We can be honest and real with each other and, and hear the truth. Now, I've taken up a lot of time, but it's okay. We've got a lot of time. Um, but I wanted to just let you know how this all came about. So we're excited that Mo is here tonight. Now, the, the, the only bad news is, is that we only have six of these books in the back. Um, so if you've got cash or check and you want to buy our book tonight, you can get it. But we only got six of them. The rest of you just go on Amazon, okay, and, and buy them off of there. Uh, there is a blessings box in the back. Tonight was free. But if you want to uh, throw any money in there as, as a way of saying, hey, we just want to help support what's going on here, go for it. And we do have an event Sunday night with FCA with our, our Champions Dinner where she's going to speak next. That's sold out. So you're like, oh, and you still want to see her again? Um, Get a hold of me. We'll figure it out somehow for you to get there Sunday night if possible. Okay? With all that introduction, boy, I don't know if I can lift you up any bigger here, Mo. So you better bring it, girl. So <laughs> would you please welcome Mo to Northwest Ohio? Thank you. Oh. Thank you, guys. Um, yes, the nine-month timeline hits a little close to home. Uh, we are... About six weeks away from welcoming number three. So if I sit and then stand and then adjust maternity pants and then burp, it's just all a lot to handle. And I love that God invites us into his kingdom work, no matter our condition, no matter our season, no matter what. He is more than willing and excited to use us for his glory. And so we're just rolling. We're just rolling forward. I was so excited right after real time um, when Josh and, and his FCA team reached out about this because I really was racking my brain. I don't think I've actually been to Ohio before, and I've traveled a lot. Maybe I've passed through with sports, but to actually come and spend time and minister here is it's a treat. It's a blessing. And it's not missed by me, especially when I think back to even 10 years ago or earlier in my life and what life looked like. It's not missed by me the beauty and the power of what God is doing now and the sort of by what other means, by what other circumstance would I have ever had the blessed privilege of crossing paths with you all and um, sharing my heart with you all, if not for just the hand of God. Um, So I'm excited to be here. I will say if I seem um, tired or drained, I just have to side note this. My whole family came, my husband Jeremiah, smoking hot, great man, Um, and I have a three-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old and a third on the way, so we're just rapid fire over here, but we get the privilege sometimes for longer trips um, to travel as a whole family, and that's tiring enough, but today we had some downtime, and so my husband said, well, why don't you take Auden, our oldest little girl, why don't you guys just go on a mommy-daughter date? Um, And I thought, that's a great idea. There was a theater right near us. And so has anyone seen Dumbo? 
don't see it. Do not go see it. Y'all, I loved the original. I thought this will be great, the live-action version. My child wept so hard she fully urinated herself. I couldn't do anything to console her because I was crying harder. We cried. We were wailing in tandem the whole movie, causing an absolute scene. There were only like four people there because it was 1240 on a Friday. But if you need a good cry, if after this time digging into some hard conversations, you need a good cry, get a ticket and go to the theater because you'll be done crying for the next year. It will drain you in every capacity, and that's what I'm coming off of. Um, But I'm praying by the power of the Holy Spirit for renewal and for his power to move. I'm I'm honored to hear um, that they were so touched at at real time by just the fire and the power, and it's um, literally all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what does scripture say? That the kingdom of God is not in talk, but in power. And so you can be an eloquent speaker and I could get up here and say the right words and package the right thing. And we could all kind of walk out of here emotionally stirred and moved, um, but no different. Or we could step into this space and invite the Holy Spirit to move. And there could be some of us who walk out of here with our lives and our hearts changed and touched and transformed by a very real, very powerful, very tangible God. So I want us to step into prayer before we even start, um, because I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think it's even worth an, a minute or, or an hour or a visit or a trip or anything anywhere to be wasted by hoping we can pull it off in our own power. I think the beauty is that we have the intimate invitation in this space to invite the presence and the power of God to show up and to speak, especially into hard, more taboo topics, stuff that many of us, if not all of us, are wrestling with in some capacity. Man, if he shows up, this will be a night that we won't forget. It will be one that ignites change and transformation and healing and wholeness. And so I want to step into prayer to start to invite him really beautifully and wholly into this space, and we'll go from there. But dear Lord, God, we just come into your presence right now. We just come to the foot of your throne, Jesus, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, Lord, with the distractions of the world, of life, of circumstance, with the frustrating phone call we just hung up on before we stepped into this building, with the spat that went on with our spouse at home before we both drove over here and put on a happy face, God, with all of the temptation, the pressure, the bullying in school with our friends on social media, God, all that we're walking through right now, we invite that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just let it fall away. In this next hour, in this space, Lord, would you make this holy ground? You are holy and you are powerful and you are full of authority and you are just and you are merciful and you are kind and you are tender, Lord, and you are intimate. And you are specific. God, you see us. You know us. I don't know anyone in this room, but you know every single person. You knit them together in their mother's womb. You know every hair on their head, Lord. You know every day of their story. And you know all that they're presently walking through, God. So 
We just sit at the foot of your throne and we say that you are God and we are not. Lord, we ask that you would make yourself real and tangible and alive in this place tonight. That you would move me out of the way and that these words would be yours and not mine. God, I pray that you would give prophetic word, Lord, if that's what you intend for this group. I pray that you would take this time, this talk, whatever direction you intend as you know the heart's present. So we trust you with it, Lord. We pray that you would speak, God, and we ask, too, um, that you would just put a hedge of protection around this building, Lord, that no weapon formed against us would stand, that no flaming arrow of the evil one would prosper, God, that no spirit of shame or doubt or fear or pride or perversion, God, nothing would have any authority in this place. We bind them up by the power of the Holy Spirit, cancel their assignment, and cast them out of here in Jesus' name. Lord, you give us the power and the kingdom authority by the blood of Jesus to move in freedom and in truth and in hope in a hurting world. So we just ask that you'll move tonight. We love you and we trust you and we praise you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, so I love that um, if you guys knew this talk was about sex and whatnot, um, that everyone just said as far back as they could. And you you sort of trickle up to the front. But um, this is a topic, this is a discussion that's interesting. Uh, and I never really would have imagined a few years ago when God just lit the fire in my heart to start speaking into some of this content. I never would have imagined the um, hunger within the church to talk about these things, the hunger within the body of Christ, and the stir and awakening that it would ignite from something that has been so silenced, so taboo, so shameful to speak about, so confused for so long. And I just sort of dove into it head first out of obedience, but the greatest blessing in my life has been seeing literal chains break and people truly be set free and healing happen in response to finding the voice that we are given to rise up and to speak into the beauty and the matters of God. And it's interesting because... Our world, when it comes to all things sex, everything that comes under kind of the sexual umbrella, our world has no shame whatsoever. Talking about it, we're entertained by it. The world has taken sex and it has twisted it, it's cheapened it, it's perverted it, it's worshipped it, it has idolized it. It's placed sex really on the throne And we're mindless to the God who actually created it. But the sexual conversation is loud in our culture. It's overwhelming. It's like the great worldly debate. We've robbed it of absolute truth. And we've really, the world invites us to figure things out as we go, right? In all things sexuality, it's a touch and go. Figure it out as you go. Define your own truth. It's your body. It's your freedom. Do what you want to do. And 
It's a maze that we kind of run and we see others doing certain things and we're influenced by other people saying that this is right or this is the way and it's touch and go and the world is like, figure it out as you go and it's the same world crying out, but hashtag me too. I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm suffering, I'm feeling repercussion for all of these things and it's a hurting, broken, fractured world, especially in the sexual narrative, that is the same one writing the script for us and yet suffering greatly. And I find that at times, quick moments, blips, the world is looking to the church. Do you have any hope? Do you have any answers? Do you have anything for my broken, seared, hurting heart that I'm too prideful to admit I'm wrestling with, but behind closed doors I'm consumed by? Do you know any answers? And the world is looking to the church. And when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ, not these four walls. I mean us, the body of Christ, professed believers, claiming to know, to love, to follow this word, this king, This Jesus, they look to the church and we are relatively silent. Because we've either bought into the taboo nature of all things sex. Or we're uncertain ourselves, kind of confused and uninformed. We listen to as many communicators as we can. We know the voice of our favorite speaker better than we know the voice of the Good Shepherd. We're misunderstanding things about God because we actually haven't rooted ourselves in his truth. We've rooted ourselves more in our emotional interpretation of who he is. Or we're silent because we're dealing with the exact same sins and struggles that the world is dealing with. And we feel completely disqualified. Overwhelmed in our own struggles around all things sex and Really, we stay kind of silent because we're silenced by shame in the fact that we don't really know any different than the world knows. We've compartmentalized it for a long time, right? Sex, sexuality, and faith, and church, and Jesus, and all that comes here. We're great at compartmentalizing things. But what's incredible is when I came to know Jesus, after much brokenness, and I'll share a little bit about My testimony tonight, I told y'all I would burp. I'm really sorry about it. It's just indigestion. There's a large baby in here. All of my kids were 10 pounds, 10.1 pounds, and this guy's right on track. And it's just a lot of human kicking in a lot of different directions. So also, if I run to the bathroom, I apologize for that as well. Bear with me. I learned about sex, and then apparently we practiced it. Because it's a lot of kids really fast, and there are results. Um, but we love it. Uh, I just think it's incredible because when I came to know Jesus, after navigating all of the same confusion, all of the same brokenness, so much of the same pain, I looked to the word of God as my only hope and my only source of truth. Because as far as I knew, this was the only unfailing, never-changing, absolute, permeating through time, shifting the world around it, 
perfect truth. And so I wanted to know what God had to say about who I was, about sex as a whole, about what the root of all of this really was. Because we're decently good as the, as the church at standing at the pulpit and talking and speaking into sort of the symptomatic responses of sexual struggles. But oftentimes it feels more so like we're putting band-aids on bullet holes because we miss speaking into and understanding the heart underneath it all, the root underneath it all. And so as I looked to the word of God, it was actually somewhat startling. Because I found that God has a lot to say about sex. He is the inventor. That was stunning. Uh, <laughs> Remerge the compartmentalized things we've done. God is the inventor of, the creator of sex. He He speaks of sex all through his word. He uses narrative illustration. He gives absolute truth. He guides us in the way we should go. He makes us aware of the very things that will become our greatest stumbling blocks and our struggled issues. He uses, we see kingdoms rise and fall around the conversation, the issues of sex. He speaks to it regularly and frequently. And we're like, well, I saw one time in Leviticus something about livestock. And so I stopped seeking out what the words, it gets weird in Leviticus. It's like, I don't know what they needed to know then, but I hope we're beyond that. But the truth is God really pulses much truth about sex through the word. And what I discovered as I started to really dig into what he had to say is that not only is God the inventor of sex, it was given to us as a gift, a gift from God, a unifying gift from God. And God's gifts are good. They're not meant to be burdensome. They're not meant to be shameful. They're not meant to be painful. It was given to us as a unifying gift. Get this one because we never talk about this layer around sex. Actually an act of worship in the right context. And a weapon against the enemy in the right context. But when the context isn't understood or honored, it becomes a very powerful weapon used against us by the enemy. And that's where I think many of us struggle. You know, it's interesting because the very first conversation God ever had with man was about sex. In Genesis, we can look back all the way. Let's see. If we look in Genesis 3. Well, no, no, no. I'll get to Genesis 3. It's earlier in Genesis where God is having the first conversation with man, with woman. And the instruction he gives is he says, all right, now go forth. I've made you as the epitome of my creation, the pinnacle of my work. You, man, woman alike in this room made in the image of God with purpose, with, with power, with Passion, he created man and woman unique in his image, different gifts, different strengths for one another, made for unification, made for partnership, made for the beauty of coming to know intimacy as we know intimacy with the Father. An incredible creation, you are. You. I know they were just speaking to Adam and Eve. No, the word of God is alive. God made you in his image. And then he spoke instruction over man and woman. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful, be constructive, be productive. 
Rule over what I have given you. Know your assignment. Be on mission. Be undistracted. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? He's like, fill the earth and rule over it. Take this gift that I've given you in the covenantal context between the two of you. And this gift not only is for your pleasure, for intimacy, but for purpose as well. Multiply. And he marries these two beautiful things together. Our inherent identity as image-bearing creations of God. And our beautiful sexual instruction. These two are married from the start. But what happens in the word? What happens in Genesis when we look at the scripture in Genesis 3, we see that temptation enters into the equation. And this is very true for our present lives. This is very much where things typically start for us. We see temptation enter into the equation and the enemy so slick with his deceit. says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman... Did God really say you must not eat any fruit from the trees in the garden? So he tricks her first by twisting God's word because that's not what God had said. He wants to pull her into this tempting moment. And Eve answers, no, 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 of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So God has placed them in a perfect setting and given one instruction, one call for obedience. Obey me. You have free will. Choose obedience. There's consequences if there's disobedience. And she says, so that's what he's told us. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. No, no, no. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You see, in this moment of temptation, Eve knew what was true and right, but the enemy's response was, wait a second. I don't think so. I don't think the repercussions are going to be what you think the repercussions are going to be. I don't think it's going to hurt as much as you think it's going to hurt. Why don't you choose to choose for yourself what you think is best for you? Maybe God's withholding something from you. Maybe God's withholding something even better for you. If you, Lord, your own life, you would be equal with God. And it was the original temptation and deception in the garden. And oftentimes it's the same form that deception takes in our lives. It's never the egregious, big, huge. We're rarely ever walking these chaste, pure, fully understanding our sexual call and our purity with the Lord and what he intends. And then one day we wake up and we just go rogue. It's like 12 men today. No, it's never quite that extreme unless you're a freshman in college and that's a whole nother ball game. But it is never really this leap into our deepest struggles. Usually, if not always, it starts with the sly and the slick temptation. It's your body. It's your life. You choose. This isn't even just sexual sin. This is a word on sin in general. It's the small, enticing, you choose to choose for yourself what's best for you. 
And we want to lord our own lives more than we want really anything else. And this is where we saw the fall, and this is how oftentimes our fall, our struggles begin. For me, this is what it looked like when it came to sexuality specifically in some of my greatest struggles and troubles. Because I remember waking up... um, not waking up. I was in I was in third grade. I was nine, ten years old, ten or eleven. Any third graders? By the way, I love that this is mixed generational. This is incredible. Because these are incredible truths that we must be instilling in the young. No one's third grade? That's too young? Fourth? Fifth? Who's the youngest in the room? It's gotta be this guy. He's like, I'm five. How old are you? I love that you're here with your family. He's like, I'm not. <laughs> I get that, bud. No, it was third grade. I remember going down to my parents' bedroom because I was doing a science project, like one of those trifold boards. And this was a little bit before the internet kind of unleashed, so it was like actual use of encyclopedias and challenging things. And so I remember going down to my mom's room to ask her, as I was having to do this full and complete project and report on all elements of snakes, And I remember going down to her room and asking what is truly an unanswerable question of how snakes have sex. There's no real biological, like, way, and it's very hard for a third grader to understand. So I went down to just ask the logistics, and I'm sure my mom was overwhelmed because the language I started using and much of what I started saying probably felt like a punch in the gut to a mom of a 10-year-old because what she didn't know is prior to that, I had had our uh, older neighbor, Natalie, take me down to the fort by our, our neighborhood creek and tell me everything she knew about sex. And Natalie had had a rough life and a lot of exposure and things were messy. And I got a full download on all she knew. And Natalie, I didn't ask, but that was what that day's hangout entailed. And for many of us, this is sometimes where our story starts. It's the older neighbor. It's the classmate. It's the cousin. Sometimes it's the intrusion of our lives by a family member or by a friend of the family exposure before we should even be wrapping our heads around these things. It is forced into our life. And so I was carrying that diction with me. And what my mom also didn't realize was about a year prior to, I had um, opened my dad's truck door and um, he always had like a wad of papers and trash behind the seats in the bed and a playing card had fallen out and I bent down to pick it up and put it back into the truck and I turned it over and it was a novelty poker card. It was porn. And so at nine years old, I suddenly had a very perverse image put before my eyes and I didn't understand even what I was seeing. But I knew in my spirit it was not what I should be seeing. It seared something on my soul and many of us recall and remember our first encounter with that type of thing. And it seared me and I couldn't really understand it, but I knew that wasn't my mommy. And why was this my daddy's? And why was this now on my mind and I couldn't 
escape it. And I remember climbing up into the truck and acting like I hadn't seen anything. My face probably as purple as they could come. And it started for a while as shame and embarrassment and confusion. Honestly, scripture says the eye is the lamp into the body. Oh, it matters what's put before our eyes. We don't take it seriously enough nowadays. What we see shapes, what we think shapes, what we do shapes our hearts. And I had had something set before my eyes that stuck in my mind. And it started as shame and embarrassment. And very quickly, it started to evolve into curiosity. Wait, what was that that I had seen? And why did it make me feel some kind of way? And why is it still on my mind? And what more can I find? And it's the tiptoeing, trying to figure out. And let's just be real for a minute because people are usually very deadpan and sometimes drooling like jaws slack-jawed when they see a woman stand on the stage and speak about pornography. Can I just take the naive blinders off of the body of Christ for a moment? In 2016 alone, one calendar year, On one pornographic website, and there are hundreds of thousands, let's not mention just hitting the wrong hashtag on Twitter, not to mention what's in print, not to mention what's in the movies we sell out, Fifty Shades of Grey. One year, on one website, we as a people consumed 4.6 billion hours of pornography. That is 524,000 years, or 17,000 complete lifetimes of porn consumed in one year on one website. 88% of those scenes depicting sex in a violent manner, whether it be physical or verbal or emotional. Literally billions of hours of violent sex, this gift given to us by God with beauty and context as worship, robbed and perverted and, and really just sold out And we set it before our eyes and we consume it like mad. One in five cell phone searches are for porn. Think how often you search something on your phone. One in five are for porn, the statistics would show. And we are consumed billions of hours of violent, twisted gift from God set before our eyes. And then we come back for more. There's supply because there's demand. And struggles with porn are gripping the body of Christ. If we think it's just unsaved males contributing to these statistics, we're as naive as they come. Porn is affecting men. It's affecting women. It's affecting children, parents. If you've tuned me out till now, bend an ear. The average age of exposure to pornography is nine years old. That's the average right now. And so there are plenty that skew younger and obviously older. Nine years old is the average age of exposure. And sometimes I just want to shake the body of Christ, especially as a parent, and say, can we wake up? Can we wake up, sleepers? To realize the war that is being waged and looks very normal and commercial. What the enemy is gripping many hearts with and we're acting like, no, not my baby. Not my baby. Come on. The enemy doesn't discriminate on attack. 
We must know, and we must know truth, and we must intercede. And I'm getting ahead of myself because I get real fired up about this topic. But it was hard because I was exposed at eight and then struggled with an addiction to pornography until I was 18 and came to know Jesus and prayed through those things being broken off of my life. And so this was set before my eyes, and as I continued to seek it out, it became very impressionable on me. This is what it miss means. Beauty, power, love. This is the imaging that I have. This is my interpretation. And so I remember also being in my mom's room that day. And I'm sure in a frantic state of nervousness, poor Heidi, I can't even imagine. I want to puke thinking about if my child ever came with the questions and the terminology I was probably using and my naivety. But she like interrupted my, my, my talk and my questions. And she said, baby, I need to make something really clear. Um, what God intends in our lives is that we be virgins when we marry. I was a virgin when I married your father. Your father was a virgin when he married me. Sex is meant for marriage. And this is, and I remember interrupting her because I was theatrical, if you can't tell. And I remember standing up at nine years old and saying, then mother, I too will be a virgin when I marry. And I marched out of the room with this triumphant vow made, this virginity vow really and truthfully made in vain because what I heard and what I stopped at that day was a works-based answer to what truly from God is a life surrender question. I made a vow of virginity and knew nothing of purity. A pure heart, a pure mind, Pure thoughts, pure actions, what God truly cares about, what he is truly looking to restore in his people. Many of us, and the church included, it's the body of Christ that my heart beats for. For much of our lives, we have been trying to live under behavior modification. And what God actually came and took a cross for was for heart transformation. Because here's the truth of the word. Scripture says that impure actions will flow from an impure heart. Pure actions flow from a pure heart. And so virginity is amazing and wonderful and beautiful, but it is a byproduct to a pure heart. And all the other brokenness is a byproduct to an impure heart. And what God came to die for and redeem was the heart of man. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And we're like, what if I just gave you some semi-good behavior? And when we start walking in that and navigating that, this works-based, I probably should do this, I probably shouldn't do that. Let me do it on my own strength, this works-based life. Rather than surrendering our hearts to God, really our question becomes, okay then, so how far is too far? This is what young people are navigating through, especially young people in the church. Okay, then, like, so what counts? And how far is too far? And, um, like, really what our heart is asking is how much can I do and get away with and not go to hell? And we're rationalizers. And we want to love the word, yeah, but love the world too. And, yeah, we want to be... Sure, ignited and passionate and activated in spirit, but we also answer to our flesh. 
And we want to call him Lord, but really we would like to keep lording our lives too. And so we live in this middle ground gray area because we have missed that he came to transform our hearts. We've let him work on our minds a little bit and we've kind of followed step of what our pastor says is right and what is wrong. But we have struggled because our hearts are still in the same condition. They always were. And so my question became how far is too far and I've got a lot I'm exposed to. And so I started pushing the envelope in the darkness, right? And that's where we love to pervert privacy. Really, we call it privacy and many of us are just living in darkness. Complete darkness. As if God doesn't have holy night vision into the darkest parts of our stories. And I'm glad he does. Because it's what gives the grace, the light that can reach down into the darkest parts of our stories and draw them out to light. But we live in darkness and I was pushing the envelope, going as far as I could, still waving my vain virgin banner, but giving pieces of myself away left and right. After my freshman year of college, I came home for winter break and my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. And if you want to know something that will compel you further into sexual sin, into struggles with love, with worth, with identity, it will be trauma in your life. It will be the storms that won't look anything like of sexual nature, but they will hurt you, wound you, strip you, and you will spend days trying to find sin-sized pieces to fill the God-sized hole in your heart. Fatherlessness, death, loss, trauma. When that inherent identity given to us by God, that beautiful sexual instruction, when it's known divide, it's amazing how our sexuality will become the very thing we will use and wield and turn to to try to find the thing it was always meant to know, our worth, our identity, our value. Am I loved? Am I seen? Am I known? I just want connection. I just want intimacy. And God's like, yeah, because I made you as a sexual being. I also made you for intimacy. But above all, that intimacy was to be had with me, God. And you're seeking a lot of pleasure from a lot of people because you're lacking intimacy with God. And you'll just keep seeking the rest of your life. And that was me. Giving away my body in hope someone would give me their heart. I remember waking up after a, a drunken night, honestly, BC, before Christ days. Um, these were my BC days in college. And I woke up after a drunken night and I was replaying in my mind what had happened the night before, just the recap. And suddenly, like a punch in the gut, it struck me, wait a second, who was that guy and what was that one moment? And when did he join our group? And did someone say that he was separated or divorced or is he married or am I an adulteress? Am I an adulteress? 
adulteress? Has adultery suddenly now very tangibly entered my story? How did I go from the well-meaning churched girl, could have told you all the right things, could have said all the right stuff about God, the star athlete at LSU, the great grades, looking so great on the surface, we're amazing at that, we could win Academy Awards for how good we are at faking fine, like we have it all together. How did I go from that girl on the surface to behind closed doors and in my heart, I am addicted to porn. I'm giving pieces of myself away. I now have involved myself with a married man. How did things fall so far and so fast? How did I get here? And it's amazing because there's so much shame the enemy will heap or has heaped or is pressing on your shoulders around sexual brokenness. I was ashamed. I did not speak a word of it because my goodness, if the people that knew me knew, what would that mean for me, for my reputation, for X, Y, or Z? I was afraid fear will grip you. That's why you delete that, that internet search once a day. In fear, someone will open your phone. It's why you keep the lock thing on and you change it weekly just in case someone looked over your shoulder and saw. It's the fear of repercussion that will come in the state of our broken nature. Guilt. I couldn't even fathom what I had possibly done to that marriage. If that wife knew, if she found out, what would this look like? I shut down. And there's some people in this room I know by the Spirit of God who are shut down because it has been a long trajectory of sexual symptomatic brokenness that is rooted, but we haven't wanted to wrestle with the root. And it's just continued on and we're just worn out. Here's what I love, though. About a year After my dad had put a gun to his heart, I was worn out, broken, navigating all of this. And the cry of my heart was truly, um, God, if you're so real, do something or just end everything. I understood when my dad did what he did. I saw it as a viable option for myself. And borderline suicidal, very much resentful, angry, frustrated, consumed by all of these things. And I was headed down the interstate The cry of my heart being, God, if you're so real, wreck my life, do something. Uh, And he will respond. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. He will always answer. He's always more than willing to wreck your life in order to save your life and to save your eternal story. And I lost control of my vehicle, headed down that interstate, flipped my Jeep three times, broke my neck, ribs, damaged lungs, liver, jaw, face, brain. You can get a copy of Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold, if you want to know the full testimony, or come Sunday night. But it was a very radical brokenness that led me to the end of my line, and hanging upside down in that vehicle was a very real encounter with a very real God. 
Holy Spirit entered into the wreckage and overwhelmed me. I'd done the church thing. I'd sung the songs. I could have told you a lot about God. It was not until I asked God at whatever cost, do something, reveal yourself to me, that it transformed completely from religion to relationship. It transformed completely from knowing a lot about God to, oh my goodness, knowing God. And this is not a negotiable. This is a real God who has taken a cross because of my sin and while I was the rebel and while I was the promiscuous one and while I was confused and while I was broken, even in our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ gave his life and died for us. This was the grace I encountered in that vehicle and it changed everything. And so when I turned to the word and started seeking healing, it was profound when I came across John 4 which if you all do know or don't know, it's the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And I know there's men in the room too. I hope, I pray we all read the word of God and understand the beauty that is spoken through every piece of the story to every single one of us. Oh, but this woman at the well, it was incredible for me to encounter this truth because what we see is that Jesus was a Jewish man. And this woman, a Samaritan woman. And the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They were the mixed breed, the outcast, the unclean. They were not God's chosen people in the eyes of the Jews. And so I love that's why Jesus was like in his travels, hey, let's head to Samaria. Because this is who Jesus is. He's the encounterer of the ones who have the reputation He steps past everything that's taboo. He steps past everything the world has said of you. And those are the very wells he comes to to sit next to. And he comes to the well and he sits next to it and it's high noon. And his disciples go into town to get some food. But there's a woman out drawing water. And if we know anything, we can understand that high noon in the Middle East is not exactly the time that you would be out laboring. And so the fact that this woman is out drawing water at high noon means this woman doesn't want to be seen or known or talked to or associated with. This woman has a reputation that precedes her. And so she's out minding her own business, doing her own thing, and never realizing she's about to encounter the king of all kings. And Jesus speaks to her. And he says, will you give me a drink, please? And the woman's like, me? (laughs) Me? Looking around, which other high noon adulteress could you be speaking to? I don't know what you mean. And he's like, would you please give me a drink? And the scripture says in John 4, 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, oh, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to. You would ask me and I would give you living water. And here's what I love about being a woman. And this is just us ladies. And men, you get this too. I love that she's literally encountering the Messiah, the Son of God. And he offers her living water to completely renew her life, her heart, her spirit. And she gets to the, to the logistics. Literally, scripture says in John 4, 11, Well, John 4.10, he's like, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, I would give you living water. And she replies, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This well's really deep. How are you going to do that? We are like logistically minded. And sometimes we laugh, but it's what we even say to a very real Jesus, even right now wanting to encounter you. There's logistics we would go through, but you don't know the fullness. 
of the story. You don't know all the pieces at work here. We try to almost talk things out, letting our minds take over. And Jesus replies, you know, anyone who drinks of this water will become thirsty. But those who drink of the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is offering her renewal, a bubbling spring within her, a transformation of everything. And I love in this moment where Jesus is offering her all that she needs, all that she longs for. She says, all right, give me this water because don't we want it? Give me the grace. Give me the mercy. Give me the forgiveness. We want it. We're ready for it in light of all that we know about ourselves, but maybe hope that he doesn't quite know. We're like, I'll take Jesus, sure. And it's in that moment that Jesus actually changes the subject on her. Because Jesus is so um, thorough. It's never just a right now and then let's just forget it all, everything that's come before Jesus is Jehovah Rapha, the great physician, the one who not only offers living water to our heart, but also wants to tend to and heal it. And so Jesus changes the subject and he says, go and get your husband. And she's like, I don't, um, I don't have a husband. And he's like, I know, son of man, you've had five and the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. And in a breath, Jesus drums up all of the hardest, most broken things about this woman, about this person, I should say. He drums up the stuff that I imagine she's pushed so far into the darkness, the stuff that literally writes the banner over her life, her reputation. He drums up the messy stuff, and he does it without a tiptoeing into what's politically correct here. Well, how do I gently let him know this? porn addiction is ruining his marriage or how do I let her know that the adultery that she's committed and is trying to dance around is debilitating things how do I let them know so softly so gently no Jesus says there's some stuff we need to work up here and tend to and he draws up the hardest parts and what I love is that in the face of her filth he stays and she's stunned How would you know all of these things about me? This is what she asks him. How would you know all of these things about me? You must be a prophet. He says, oh man. No, I'm not a prophet. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who knows all these things about you because I came to redeem all these things about you. I'm the one who knows all these things about you and I'm not afraid for us to work through these things about you. I'm the one who writes a new banner over your story and it will say redeemed. It will say purified. It will say a child of God. I am the Messiah, the one who's come to save you even in light of these things. So let's not ignore them. Let's not pretend I don't know why you're out here at high noon. Let's not pretend like I don't know about the text thread on your phone. Let's not fake it anymore. Let's deal with it. And I have living water. Oh, to a thirsty generation, I just want to be like, can we drink living water? Because it satisfies 
What I love about the Samaritan woman is she doesn't take off in uh, denial. We're good at that. In rationalization, we're even better at that. In justification, well, I uh, yeah, the four divorces were because Henry and Todd and Sam and Peter. No, she doesn't take off any longer. She stands in the midst of the presence of God. And she is blown away. Scripture says she drops her buckets and where she takes off to is back to town with another man's name on her lips. Do you know what I love about the gospel? If you look in the entirety of the gospels up until this moment, Jesus has been moving in ministry and performing healings and miracles. But every time he tells them, don't tell anyone what I've done for you yet. Jesus is meticulous in the release of his ministry. And it's not missed by me that it is the sexually broken individual that he meets at the well that is the very first person in the word of God that he gives permission to to go evangelize. Go tell him who I am. I'm the Messiah. Let him know. That's how he unleashes his ministry. Through a redeemed, sexually broken person, he says, all right, tell him who I am. I'm the Messiah. And she runs back to town with another man's name on her lips. And can you imagine? I mean, truly picture the scene. This is the whore at the well by all accounts. Oh, but this time it's the name above all names. It's the one that's mighty to save. It's the one that has the power to redeem all of the broken things. And it says in scripture that many came to believe in response to her faithfulness. In fact, they begged Jesus to come back to town and spend time with them. And many more came to believe. And this is the Jesus that I came to know. The one who stands with the adulteress about to be stoned and says, Those without sin cast the first stone. And kneels down and doodles in the sand. And stones fall all around him. And stones will fall in your life at the name of Jesus. And when he stands, he says, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. He says, then I don't accuse you either. But he says, go and sin no more. In response to his great love and mercy for us, would something please shift in our lives, church? In response to his great love and mercy, he doesn't say, all right, that's grace for you today. Now go on, keep abusing that grace and that forgiveness that I give you. Keep showing up in church on Sunday, but struggling behind the computer screen on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Continue on in that extramarital deal that you're dealing with. My grace will be good then too. No, he says, would the cross matter to you? Would you go and sin no more? Be set apart. Let me transform and tend to your heart. Would you know intimacy with me? Like living water, like a wellspring. It will change everything. It will change everything. Jesus, I know, wants his people alive. You see, we've gotten into the, the, the rhythm, the vibe in response to so much of our past and many times so much of our sexual brokenness that we are Christians, Christians just walking through life coping. 
And Jesus didn't come so that we could walk through life to cope. Jesus came to set the captives free. And so what God intends is that you come to know the power of who he is, the great grace and mercy over your lives, and the activation of one who knows freedom and tasted it, that it is sweet, that dies to self, that lives in obedience, that restores what was lost, that trusts in him. And lives differently in response to him. So yeah, we could stand up here and have the sexual conversation and sit around the P's and Q's and the A's and B's. And we could leave here missing the fullness of it. I feel like there are parents in the room that need to know that it is our duty and our responsibility to raise our children up in the way they should go. And every single one of us in here knit together by God as sexual beings. This is a layer of our humanity that we need wisdom in and guidance in to know how to navigate with some sense of truth and clarity. There are kids in the room that need to know that every single one of your peers are going to tempt you, are going to be living differently most likely, are going to be hypocritical. They may be some of even your church mates and yet they're different people at school and on the ball court and on the field. And the vast majority of the world is going to live differently and I wish the youth would wake up and realize you one day will have no one beside you when you stand before the Lord. Your friends won't be there to back you. You'll stand before God, and I don't want that to be unfamiliar positioning for us. I want us to live in such a way that says, right now, even though I'll get laughed at, even though I'll get mocked, even though I'll get ridiculed when the guys are passing around the nude of the girl in school that's making its rounds and she doesn't even realize it into the lunch table, it's coming across me. I will be the one who won't dishonor my sister, an image-bearing creation as well, for my momentary pleasure, but I'll live differently. I'll live set apart with some sense of self-control. There are husbands and wives in the room who need to know that the covenant of your marriage is the beautiful practice and exercise of the gospel of Christ. Laying down your life for the other. Honoring God, honoring the other. And for a long time, you've sought your spouse to answer something in you that just doesn't seem like they can do. And it's because it's not your spouse's job. You're robbed of intimacy with the father. And so any tempting pleasure is causing a wandering eye or a wandering heart. Your marriage is worth so much more. And there's just people in the room, too, who need to know that your past and what has been a part of it, abuse, abortion, molestation, promiscuity, pain. Oh, he's offering living water. You don't have to keep faking fine and acting like just because you know what you should do that you need to just get it together in your own strength because you're feeling quite weak behind closed doors. No, you need to know that there is a king who's seen you in all of it and who loves you and gave his life for you to redeem it, to heal it, to tend to it. God cares about our hearts. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 4610, in response to a hashtag MeToo world, could our answer as the body of Christ be, then hashtag me first. I'll go first. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Open my eyes and give me ears to hear and renew my mind. Teach me. Encounter me. Heal me. So that I can be who I was called to be, salt and light to the broken world. Not silent when they need answers or hope. No, I can stand on the rock of my salvation and point to the one who redeemed every piece of me. That must be our anthem as the church. And I believe it can be and it will be in Jesus' name. I'm sweating profusely. I gotta wrap everything sweaty and hot. But here's the beauty. I roll out of here after Sunday. You all have community and accountability and brotherhood and sisterhood in one another and a church to call home. Oh, not a museum for perfect people, a hospital for the broken, a place to come and be truly known and seen and walk in transparency. And I pray you don't miss that invitation because people don't have it all over the world. Oh, and we take it for granted. I'm grateful we live in a nation where we can even speak of these things. And I'm grateful none of you bailed on this because the talk gets uncomfortable when we sit around these things. Would we be a body of Christ that fights to reclaim the sanctity of sex, that fights to reclaim the things of God and stops letting the world bully us out of the conversation or tempt us into disqualification? Would we walk in truth on the way that is straight and narrow Would we fix our eyes on the cross and would we allow him to tend to our hearts? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. We trust you. You are good and you are kind and you are holy and you are pure and you are mighty. And you sit at our well. And in the face of our filth, you stay. And you look at dry bones in a valley and you breathe them back to life. And you wake up sleepers. God, and you transform hearts. And you cover us with your blood, with your mercy, with your grace, God, and you bring us back to life. I am so grateful, God, for all you have done in my life. And Lord, I pray over every single person in this room that you would begin a good work in them that you bring to completion if it has not yet started yet. Or that you would continue the incredible work of sanctification in their hearts and their lives, Lord, as they remember the taste of that amazing grace on that day they came to believe. God, I pray that you would Pour out your spirit over this congregation, Lord, that you would pour an anointing over the marriages in this room, God, that you would give a spirit of wisdom and discernment to the young people in this room from six years old to 16. God, I pray for it specifically with the authority in the name of Jesus that you would plant truth in the hearts of every young person present, that we wouldn't think this is over our heads and miss it, God, when you've gifted it to us, that we wouldn't 
continue to live lorded by the world in just honestly a pathetic culture, God, that never seems to be able to make up its mind. God, would we fix our eyes on truth that has not changed, that has never failed, that has never proven false, that is your word and your truth in the scripture by the Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of those ahead of us, God, I am getting a word from you to pray specifically for parents and for older ones in this room who have neglected to guide in truth because of shame in their own stories or confusion on how to even navigate speaking into these things because it was never spoken to them. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I interrupt the the repeated cycle we see from generations past to this generation right now, God, I interrupt the cycle that we've seen of silence that has bred uh, confusion and pain that has then caused silence and to the next generation bred confusion and pain. Lord, it's just been a cycle of unspoken words. But your word rises up like a roar from the lion of Judah and it is a word of truth. Would we reclaim the conversation for the glory of God? We love you and we trust you. You are good. Your words are not meant to bind us, Lord. They're meant to set us free because you know what is best for us. We trust you and we praise you and we love you. Lord, continue to speak to your people from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much.